we talk draft eligibles at the World Juniors, risers, fallers, and how the draft eligibles affected the rankings in the 2024 NHL Draft. Big discussion coming up on this episode of Locked On NHL Prospects. You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, we break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. I'm Hattie Kalakesh, joined by Sebastian High, and on today's show, we'll be discussing draft eligibles at the World Juniors and how the World Juniors affected our rankings of prospects overall. We'll talk about risers, we'll talk about fallers, we'll also specifically talk about specific uh, prospects, draft eligibles at the World Juniors, how they played and how that affected how we see them for the 2024 NHL Draft. Before we get into any of that, though, today's episode is brought to you by Sleeper. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code LOCKEDONNHL to get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and, terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment letting us know what you want us to talk about next. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day wherever you get your podcast. So, uh, let's get things started here with the with the draft eligible specifically who played at the World Juniors because there are going to be risers and fallers here. And among those risers and fallers, there are some players that didn't even play at this World Juniors, but in our viewings throughout that period um, affected our rankings as well. But so we can start things off with, I think, the most interesting player at these World Juniors. And I think that's Steve Buyum. Uh, Buyum was one of Team USA's best defensemen overall, despite being their youngest, uh, played some really good minutes. Um, played really well on both sides of the ice and overall made himself pretty much indispensable to this team. He was playing on the second power play for them, despite having Seamus Casey and, uh, you know, a, a glut of other defensemen who can quarterback a power play. He was that guy. Um, yeah. What did you think of Booyam overall? And how do you, th how do you think you've affected his draft stock in this, uh, in this world juniors? He's been rocketing up for the last like two months now, right? Yep. Like, we've been talking about him extensively, and there's been a very good reason for that. He has been like showing a ton of comfort in far larger roles than he was playing last year with the NTDP or even like in, in the first like a couple of weeks of the season in Denver. He's been playing a lot more minutes and has been gaining so much confidence, especially in his play on puck that I've been so impressed with. He is so fluid. He uses his mobility better than most defensemen that are U20, let alone like 18. Yep. And uh, overall has just been tremendously impressive, especially offensively in Denver. But we've been talking about quite a bit of how in this tournament, while yes, he was in an offensive role with Team USA playing on the power play, he was playing some really solid transition defense, especially like like the the in zone defending was a little bit more hit or miss in in, in my uh, in my viewings of him in this tournament. But yeah. the way he's able to match footwork off the rush is exceptional. Uh, the the way that he was able to stop the rush, even compared to other offensive defensemen in that lineup, like he was far more efficient at that than Lane Hudson, obviously, with that as one of the the, the key and few areas of weakness in his game and Seamus Casey uh, as well. So the fact that he is an offensive defenseman, but, but is able to really get involved defensively so actively at such a young age against such impressive competition is 
so good to see. And he is well into the top 10 discussion, uh, at least for us internally at Dauber. Uh, yeah. And I think like for you personally, is entering the top five conversation. So talk me a bit of uh, how that has uh, kind of like gone over the last two months because oh my it's been a rocket ship. Yeah, absolutely. I went from Zeev Buyam is decent to Zeev Buyam is a top 15 pick to Zeev Buyam is a top 10 pick. And now I'm somewhere between Zeev Buyam is a top five pick and Zeev Buyam is the best defenseman of the 2024 NHL draft within a span of like three months. Um, and it's not just been the world juniors. His play at Denver has continued to grow, continue to improve and especially continue to impress. He has been fantastic. And um, I've talked about this before. You'll hear their commentators say things like if the game's on the line in the last minute and I want someone to, to score a goal and I want someone to buck on a stick, it's Zeev Booyam. And I'm like, he's an he's a freshman draft eligible playing in defenseman. the NCAA. Defenseman. Yeah. Like what what <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, he's been that good. I mean, he he's just he's so reliable with the puck. He's so clutch in key moments. He scores big goals. Uh, he scored the insurance uh, goal against um, against Sweden in the World Juniors uh, gold medal game. Like he'll, he'll show up in big moments, and he can rifle the puck. He can pass really accurately. But what's really impressive is half the time I feel like he's covered in butter. In butter, he's just so wriggly. He just he just squeezes his way through pressure. He's he's got these little moves and these little handling skills that allow him to just escape the the grasp of opponents so easily. And even at, at against the best, I mean, Sweden are really good structurally are really good at defending, um, uh, you know, up high in the, uh, in the defensive zone. So there's not a lot of space for William to do what he does. And he still manages, you know, Sweden, Sweden defends almost like an NHL team uh, when they're playing in the world juniors, the stylistically, I mean, the, the, the lack of time and space you have when they're, when they're playing against you is a big, big thing. And William managed this, managed that lack of space, really really well um and even at the ncaa level when he's playing against the top competitors um you know the, the big teams that have really good rosters really good structure really good systems he's still able to do those exact same things on a smile on a smaller ice surface so just overall there was so much to love about booyam and you know like i said he's just been rocketing up my rankings as as the years has gone on because every question i have about him gets answered the next game i watch so it's just like Where's the issue with him? Yeah, he's been fantastic in this in this uh, tournament. Um, but I also want to give a shout out, obviously, to Jesse Polkinen, who had a real stand yeah. world juniors, really made himself known and made a clear case for himself in the top fifty. I mean, he was a there's already a conversation to be had in that because, like I mentioned on a previous episode, there was a specific game in the second division of Finnish hockey, Finnish pro hockey, he was playing, where there was like. 30 or 40 scouts from all over the world, not just NHL, but like other European teams. They came to watch like a, 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 a mestis game on a Tuesday just for MSA Polkan. And like, that's extremely rare to have an overager, uh, you know, a, an overage draft eligible be that uh, scrutinized and watched by teams. Like, yeah, he's. And that was before the World Juniors. <laughs> I mean, I, I would not be surprised at all at the end of the day if Jesse Polkanen ends up being picked in the first round of the 2024 NHL draft. He is an NHL scout's dream, right? Like he just, he's exactly what they're looking for. A unique prospect with a unique skill set, massive frame, huge reach, good defensively, fantastic skater, and really, really good with the puck. So yeah, I mean, those two I think are the standouts, right? Do you have anyone else? I agree that, that, that those two are the big standouts. I, I will add one thing with Polkanen in that, I wouldn't be like I think I, I'm personally am going to make a a small push for him to to enter our top 32 in our next draft meeting, which mm -hmm. is coming up in a couple of weeks time at Dauber. Uh, and 
I, I still have to watch a bit more of Hokanen. Like I want to get a real good grasp of his uh, of his league tape both this season and last season. I want to see that progression and see just how that 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 has come. But yeah. if, if that is a kind of like what I'm expecting it to be like in that experience of of, of delving back in, into the, the the historic tape with with Polkinen, yeah, I could see myself making a push for that, and I I wouldn't be surprised if I got some support from Annie. But how would you stand uh, with with the idea of Polkinen as like a like 25 to 32 range player. Uh, I don't know. There are a lot of really good players in that range. There are. And that's yeah. what makes this really difficult. But for me, without a shadow of a doubt, he's going to be in the top 50. And I'd even yes. say maybe top 40 for me is almost indefinite. Um, but I'd be more comfortable with him as an early second rounder than a, than a late first for the moment. But that's not a massive difference. That that not, that range much. of yeah, yeah, that range of players is is fairly similar. 25 to 40. Yeah, that, that's where I'd there. be comfortable with him for sure. 25 to 40, leaning more towards 33 to 40, just by principle of just having watched him a lot at the World Juniors, having watched him a tiny bit in league play. Um, yeah. You know, I, I want a bigger sample size. You know, this was a great, great tournament for him. And in isolation, everything he did was fantastic, but I want to see a lot more. For sure. I agree. Absolutely. But that wraps things up for our first segment about the standouts. Uh, they're really, I mean, two players from this draft here that we, really, I mean, I, I love talking about, and it's those two. But we'll get into the overall risers and fallers from uh, this portion of uh, the season, including what the World Juniors and uh, did for, for these players. We'll talk about risers, including Dave Williams, Zane Perek, and a lot more coming up on this next segment after these messages from our sponsors over at Sleeper. It's almost the halfway point of the season, uh, but you can still get in on the action with Sleeper. Sleeper is our number one choice for your daily fantasy hockey needs and overall daily fantasy sports here at the Locked On NHL Network. It's our number one choice because with Sleeper, you can win 100 times your cash in daily fantasy hockey contests. All you have to do is correctly predict eight specific player stats, and you can get creative with those, whether you want to bet on some of the stars of the league to put up some goals like the McKinnons or the Drysidles, or if you want to take a home run swing on one of the youngsters of the league, maybe on Connor Bedard once he comes back from injury, or I don't know, Adam Fantilli is pretty, playing some pretty good hockey right now as well. The choice is yours with Sleeper. So, uh, <clears throat> Use promo code LOCKEDONNHL and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. That's code LOCKEDONNHL. See Sleeper's terms of use for details and locational availability. Alrighty, so moving on to our second segment, we'll talk about risers for the 2024 NHL draft after these World Juniors. We're not just going to be talking about what happened at the World Juniors, even though that can affect the rankings of some players outside of it. Uh, we'll mainly talk about the prospects, um, all the prospects that we think bumped to their stock over this kind of period of time since our last meeting in November. Um, let's start off, obviously, with Steve Booyam. I think this is, without a shadow of a doubt, the biggest riser. Um, yeah. He's he's definitely entered, I mean, for me, definitely entered top five conversation. For most, he's in the top ten by now. I, I don't think there's any doubt there. I don't think anyone's going to have him outside the top ten right now, which, uh, yeah, overall, for many people's rankings, this is the biggest riser. Um, you know, for me personally, I just, you know, I had him, what, at ninth overall before uh, just in my pre-World Juniors rankings. And yeah, just there's nothing really to speak about more here. We've already talked about him at length in the first uh, yeah. first half of the first segment. Zeev William, big riser. Keep an, keep an eye out for him. And if your team needs defensemen, between 5 and 10, go for him. He's your guy. Um, but Zane Parekh is also a riser. Um, we both agree on this mainly because 
I've gotten a bit more comfortable with the Zane Perak over Sam Dickinson conversation, whereas I really wasn't at the start of the year. So we're kind of on the same page there, even though I love, love, love Sam Dickinson. Zane Perak, right? I've been beating that drum all season. I've been I've been on the Zane Perak train uh, going back to like halfway through his D minus one year. Yeah, I've been a really big fan of his for a long time. I got to watch him live a couple of times in Ottawa last year, and that uh, those were very impressive viewings. And uh, yeah, no, he he's a fantastic player who is being tasked with far more minutes this season. He's playing like twenty five to thirty a night with Saginaw, and that's a wagon of a team. So playing that much for that good of a team is indicative of uh, also his ability to gain a coach's trust which is of course of course important but yep. it is the offensive dynamism it's the on puck ability that is just blindingly good uh where you you see him pull things off that 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 would make your jaw drop if you saw it from a 20 year old at the junior level let alone a 17 year old so he, he's a player that i'm i'm a very big fan of and the consistency in his game has really kind of like, like plateaued uh, or in a good way. Like, like he's become a lot more consistent this season than he was last year. There's a lot more yeah. erratic, like, like game to game shifts uh, for, in his play last season than, than this year. So that, yeah. that, that calmness, that consistency is obviously making it's me huge. a little bit more optimistic and, and, yeah. and, and confident in having him in that like top four, top three discussion, which is still quite bullish. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he, he's a player that with every viewing I have, I'd become more and more confident in. Yeah, for sure. What's for sure is, you know, if it's not if it's not Zeev Buyam, if you want an offensive defenseman, it's Zane Perek. And especially if we're looking for right-handed D, which a lot of a lot of teams yeah. are, he's your guy for sure. Uh, but another offensive leaning defenseman that we have in our risers, Alphonse Frey. Uh, you've watched a bit more of him than I have, but I have caught my fair share of games of his, um, mainly because I was looking at Leo Salin Valenius, who was showing up in, in rankings in the first round, and I was curious about him. Um, I caught Alphonse Frey at the start of the year and was kind of unimpressed, just overall underwhelmed. Um, but having focused a bit more on him and having watched him a bit deeper into the season, he's looking like a first-round candidate, eh? For sure. I'm, I'm, a, I'm quite a big fan of his. Like, I... I've been trying to kind of like compare him with like some North American stylistic counter counterparts like uh, Henry Muse, for instance. And as of right now, I'm probably more confident in Alphonse Frey's projection than Henry Muse. And I've yeah. watched more of Hen Henry Muse than any other draft eligible in this draft, basically, because being based in Ottawa uh, previously, got to watch the 67s a ton. Yeah. But uh, Alphonse Frey is a tremendously mobile, intelligent offensive defenseman. Yeah. Uh, he's lethal in transition he loves to carry the puck up the ice he's just as dangerous a carrier as he is a passer which really gives him that that dual threat ability and that 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 easy deception because every option seems quite comfortable uh when he has his head up and he keeps his feet moving he is lethal and he's really capable at switching lanes in transition creating space for his line mates to go attack and uh even though at the J20 level, they don't often like make use of that space that he creates. He just keeps doing it until they, until they, they, they find their way into it. And, uh, just a tremendous level of dynamism and skill and uh, combine that with quite a good hockey mind. Like I, the more I watch of him, the more I'm impressed with how he processes the game, how quickly he's able to, to spot opening lanes, how he's able to create those lanes, how he's, he, he spots the movement of defensive structures and tries to kind of, find a way in whether he has the puck on a stick or not he's super super fun to watch especially offensively the defensive game there's been some nice flashes but is is not quite a strength just yet but 
he uses his, mo his mobility really well to match footwork off the rush. And while his gap could be a bit tighter and he could be a bit more consistent in how he approaches the transition defending, he, there's been some decent progress on that front this season. So he's a player I've liked a ton, and I'll be bringing up his name in that 25 range uh, come the next uh, uh, Dauber meeting. Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't be against that myself. Um, moving on to obviously Jesse Pulkin, who we just talked about again, another big riser. Uh, mainly was unknown, and for me, I'd watched literally a game of his because uh, our our Finnish scout Annie uh, had mentioned him, and I really 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 liked him. But I thought you know over age, I was watching a J twenty game. Who knows? Eh, but. Yeah. Oh my goodness, he is he's looking really good and has gone from a player who I would I would have said maybe a third rounder at best to a, almost a definite top 40 prospect. So big defenseman, really mobile, like I said, really good with the puck, really unique in terms of the way he approaches the game. Not a lot of players play like him. Um, very entertaining. Yeah. Very, very entertaining defenseman. Not always stable, not always composed, not always, um, you know, reliable, uh, but when he's on his game, he is on, which is really, really interesting. Um, but the first player here that did not play at these World Juniors, well, I mean, the second one after Alphonse Frey, uh, Liam Greentree, the the winger, um, I want to say... Windsor. Windsor, that's right. It fires. Yeah, he has been firing up my rankings um, over the past month. I've watched his game, game a bit more closely. I had guys like Ryder Ritchie and Beckett Seneca in kind of the same range or higher than him. I think Greentree has solidified himself as an 11 to 16, 11 to 17 type of prospect. And yeah, I mean, with Greentree, it's really, really obvious how what, he, what he's good at. He has a fantastic shot. He protects pucks really well. But outside of that, I've been more and more impressed with his playmaking game. I saw I see a lot more intricacy in his ability to, to kind of connect plays and move up the ice. Um, and especially in the offensive zone, I've seen a lot more give and goes, a lot more smart kind of little shifts in movement to get into pockets of space. So there's a couple things like that that have really impressed me over over the last month from Green Tree, and that should put him in in just outside the top ten for me. He's not top ten caliber just yet, and I don't think he'll get there um, just because of how good this top ten class is compared to um, to what the eleven to twenty five range looks like. But Green Tree has put himself at the top end of that kind of that tier below the top ten for me. Um, yeah. Outside of that, we have Stian Solberg, who was fantastic at this tournament. He played some bad hockey at the end of the tournament, but it was because he was being just way overused um, by the end of it. And he is not there yet. I mean, the Norwegian Pro Leagues, uh, the Norwegian Pro Leagues calendar isn't as as tightly packed as the World Juniors are, where you play like 25 minutes a game, two nights in a row. Like that's a lot on the body of a player that's not used to it, right? It really is. And the hockey he was playing before he was exhausted was really impressive. He's a really vicious defenseman who gets a lot of joy from playing the defensive side of the game. Uh, there, there were some nice offensive flashes at the tournament. Like he has a pretty hard shot. The distribution in the offensive zone was decent. But in terms of NHL projection, like a defensive specialist uh, where you kind of want him to, to divert to his uh, defensive pairing partner for a bulk of the transition workload. I think that like the on puck game is definitely more of a work in progress than the defensive game is at this stage, but uh, the violence with, with, with which he defends and uh, he, he was one of the least fun players to, to kind of attack on his side of the ice at the world juniors. And yeah. considering that he, he's for playing for Norway, that's quite the achievement. Yeah, absolutely. He made life really difficult off the rush for his opponents. And yeah, I, I feel like teams adapted very quickly and shifted over to the side of his, his D partner. Uh, it didn't take long before they figured that part out. Um, another prospect who wasn't at these World Juniors who's a riser in our rankings, uh, Michael Hage. Michael Hage plays for the Chicago Steel. Um, he's a forward. 
and a really, really skillful player. And I had kind of underrated a skill before I got a couple more viewings of him and with Chicago. And yeah, he, he, he has a skill set that is really, really unique. He's able to carry pucks through pressure across hands and kind of cut to the middle at all costs really, really well. Um, he has a hands on the mindset for it. On top of that, I've, I've gone, I've grown a bit more fond of a shot. Um, his playmaking has always been interesting, but a shot has grown on me a bit. Um, he's able to, he's not, he doesn't have that wicked wrister, but he's able to pick corners really, really well, especially from in tight. Um, so having that type of player with that type of skill set, I wouldn't, I would not be against him being in the first round at all. Like he, he's, he's definitely in that conversation for me. And then closing things off, we have Thomas Galvish, who was called up in relief of Adam Juracek, who unfortunately suffered a season ending injury, um, in the world juniors in the first game, um, and fellow draft eligible Thomas Galvish got called up in his stead and played really steady, really reliable, really entertaining hockey uh, for Czechia. Um, specifically, that that assist he got on the Yuri Kulich goal was just—I did not expect that from Galvish, who who played on a pairing with Adam Yerichek at the World Junior at the at the Five Nations tournament earlier uh, in in November, and did not look like this. He just, he, he looked like the steady, the steady counterpart to Adam Yerichek in, in that tournament. And this year freed from that shackle, he was able to just go ahead and do whatever he wants and had, had a lot of fun at this tournament. Clearly he, he did a great job of showcasing his skill set. because on top of that, he's like I said, really, really reliable, really mobile, really active defensively. And yeah, just made a name for himself at this tournament, which I love. And uh, yeah, he, he might just figure in my top, top 32 or maybe even top 40 something like that i was decently impressed with him but that wraps things up for a second segment about the risers now we'll talk about a bad news we'll talk about the fallers uh for the 2024 nhl draft after these world juniors we'll get into that after these messages from our sponsors over at jace medical if you're looking for a solution to your medical needs if you're someone who travels a lot and doesn't have much time to, you know, go to the pharmacy, you know, head up your doctor, get a prescription. Jace Medical is a great alternative to that. Um, they provide five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use through their Jace case. Uh, it's a really useful tool, especially, again, if you travel and uh, you tend to get sick on the road a lot like I do. I don't know why. Every time I travel, even if it's, you know, if, you have, if, I'm, if I'm not taking a plane, if it's just a, if it's just a car ride seven hours south to, to the USA, um, I still find a way to get sick and Jace Medical um, is Jace Medical's Jace case is a great alternative to that and helps you stay healthy and stay on top of your health when these things happen. Um, you can get ongoing care from their physicians or any treatment related questions. Um, it's a doctor created platform that is also doctor uh, recommended. So don't get caught unprepared. Everybody should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones when the unexpected hits. So you can get $20 off on these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using the code locked on at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Check it out. Alrighty, so closing things off, we've got a conversation about some fallers here at the 2024 NHL Drafts rankings um, after these World Juniors. We'll talk about some prospects who either didn't impress or had some bad luck at this tournament um, or overall just outside of the World Juniors have been outclassed by the players who played there or other players who did better than them. Um, I think we could start at the top with Cole Eisenman, who I did not expect falling any further than this, but Kansa Hellenius has, has outclassed him. Uh, based on his his impact in this tournament, there's even a conversation regarding Michael Branzek Newgard um, regarding Zeke you know 
Steve Bouillam, obviously. Um, Zane Parekh, for me, has definitely, definitely put himself... A, Parekh and Dickinson and Bouillam, for me, above him so far in terms of overall upside, um, and, and especially in terms of stylistic ability. Um, Eiserman has remained, and I've watched a lot of NTDP hockey, especially against the NCAA, to see how he handles better competition. Eiserman was mainly playing on the third line um, for the NTDP in those games, and wasn't really able to make the best out of that either. Um, again, just there's a lot wrong with what he does heading into the offensive zone. When, once he's in the offensive zone, no notes. He's like perfect in the offensive zone. His ability to move off the puck, his ability to find pockets to shoot from, his absolutely ridiculous wrist shot, his one-timer. Like There's so many different details to his offensive and goal-scoring game that are amazing. The issue is, as soon as you head outside of that paradigm, as soon as you talk about his transition game, his back-checking, his defensive game, his his you know his tendency his tendencies even on the puck heading into the offensive zone, like he'll try to bulldoze around opponents, around defensemen instead of just cutting back, which is which opens up what opens up so much space for him and give him an opportunity to showcase his playmaking. He doesn't have that habit in his game, so. Yeah, I, I feel like he's a lot more limited um, than than the other prospects that made a name for themselves either at the World Juniors or throughout the World Juniors in their league play. And yeah, he's kind of fallen out of favor with me, which, you know, I already had him like seventh or eighth overall. I did not expect him to drop any lower than that, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I haven't watched nearly as much of him, at least in the last two months as you have. But yeah. like, I, what, one question I do have for you is like, how much of an impact does like his what like July or August birthday have on his draft stock? Because he is one of the younger players in this draft class. And a lot of these question marks that we still have in his game that are quite, quite blatant uh, are around questions of maturity, right? Like habits yeah. that don't have to be learned what does the age kind of like, how does that fit in, in the likelihood of him overcoming these hurdles? It's, it's difficult to say because, you know, from what I've, from all the, 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 the articles and papers I've read about the impact of a, of an early or late birthday on a player's upside and potential. A lot of the times it's the older players in the draft that end up outperforming their draft stock and outperforming their, their draft position. Um, so I, I don't really like to put too much stock on a player's age in the draft year, but obviously when your main issues are maturity and you're less mature than the rest of your team of, of, yeah. of your draft class, like that can be overcome. It's just for me, Eisenman just, there are some major issues with the way he approaches the game that go beyond just maturity. Um, I've seen players younger than him be more decisive with a puck, more impactful in all three zones. Like it's, you know, you put Michael Branzek Newgard when he was the exact same age as Cole Eisenman. And like Branzek Newgard has so much more maturity and composure and poise and two way impact and all the things you want to see out of a prospect. It's, it's a, it's a stylistic issue. It's that Eisenman plays this way more than just, you know, he hasn't developed those areas yet. So maybe, maybe in a four or five years, I look foolish for this, but I, I just, I have a lot of issues with the way Eisenman approaches the game, and I don't think it's something that can be fairly reliable outside of playing with an elite play driver and an elite two-way player. And if you have those two elements in your team, go for him all the way and like take him to the moon. He's going to score you 40 to 50 goals. But there's a big if in that, and you have to have the right pieces in your roster, and not every team has that. So especially if you're drafting that high, like it's not, it's not something you readily have in your team, right? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Absolutely. But moving on to a couple of uh, draft eligible defensemen who honestly, it seems really just like a matter of injury, but it's unfortunate because 
taking a, a swing on these two would be taking a big risk based on their their the injuries that they just suffered in um in the last couple of months. We're talking about Aron Kiviharyu and Adam Yerichek, two defensemen who suffered major injuries and will be out for foreseeably the rest of the season. Um, and that obviously will affect their draft stock. I'm still a big believer in Kiviharu and Yurichek. I still like their games, but it's it's a big risk to take if you're drafting in the top 10, top 15 to go for a player like this, um, a player in this situation particularly. There are some options there, especially on defense, that make them a bit more expendable and more likely to kind of slip down the rankings, right? For sure. I think like with, with Kiwi Haru specifically, like I think he's he's due to come back in like March or late February. So we're gonna get some late season footage at the very least, which should help answer some questions because yeah, uh, both of these players are players that really could have used as much game time as they could have uh this season to really like like show the world what their exact style is. Like there's mm-hmm. definitely two players that were still kind of figuring out how they could best impact uh the game. Like yeah. with Kibihar, you have the best passer among the defensemen in this draft class. Yeah. The raw passing ability is superb. But how everything else kind of falls into line to support that was still very much a work in progress in his game. And yeah. with Adam Yerchek, there was so much indecision and and hesitation in his play at the, in the first half of the season that I was so hoping to, to, to see him kind of grow into the decision-making and the calmness and the composure as the year went on, where this season-ending ending injury is really, really rough. And, I mean, like, the year checks have not had good luck in terms of uh, world junior injuries in their draft years. Yeah. Uh, so it's rather, rather unfortunate. But definitely two players that are going to be fascinating to kind of like keep evaluating and kind of delving back into past draft tape to to study a bit, bit more in depth than we have so far to kind of get as clear of an idea as we possibly can with the footage that we do have available to us with these two yeah. players but definitely uh there's a bit of a wrench into our evaluation of the two absolutely um moving on to Ryder richie a uh, winger out of uh i want to say swift current um might might be no it's prince albert i think yes either way i believe it i think it is whl winger um he's decently sized i think he's six foot six one 180 nothing overwhelming on that side but what really made him stand out for me at the start of the year and made him kind of a a 10 to 15 player was the playmaking ability um uh, not the playmaking ability the stick handling the playmaking is decent but the stick handling really made him uh shine offensively he was able to wriggle through opponents um you know kind of stick handle through pressure really well find these little pockets of space and make a play but the issue with richie that really made me sour on him is the more i watch him the less i see him able to just catch a puck which is just that's where your stick handling sequence starts is by being able to catch a pass and he struggles with that massively and i still haven't honed in on exactly why that is but that could limit him severely at the next level because in the NHL, the most important thing is to be able to catch a crisp pass quickly and accurately and well and be able to, to, to be ready for your next play right away. Because in the NHL, things come come at you fast. So you need to be able to be able to set up your next play extremely quickly and not have to take three, four touches to corral a puck. And right now, that's what I see from Ryder Ritchie. And usually that's an issue with posture or with skating. Um, and those are kind of the more difficult things to tweak and adjust properly. So that gives me a bit more concern in Ryder Ritchie's element. But for me, it's just outside of that, offensively, there's so much to love. Defensively, you're not really always going to get much out of Ritchie, but you're going to get enough, which is usually what you want. But overall, that big issue of not being able to catch pucks could harm him massively at the next level. So I'm a bit concerned with that. Then to end things off, 
Igor Chernyshov, I think, is another player who over the last couple of months has just been outclassed by the rest of the, the competition. Like I saw him as a bona fide top 10 pick. I see yeah. him more as a 15 to 25 pick now. Um, just, you know, not by any harm of his own. He's the same player he was two months ago. But that's the issue. A lot of players have improved since then. A lot of players have shown their worth since then. And that kind of bumped him down the rankings. Then finally, the the one prospect who played full-time in the World Juniors that's in our followers is Emil Hemming. And it's mainly just because he was unnoticeable at this tournament, right? Yeah, yeah, it was not not as strong as showing. And and yeah. Finland had a real need of having offensive pieces like step up and and, and make an impact because it wasn't the, the, the deepest forward core that Finland ever brought to the World Junior Championship. Yeah. And that led to Emil Hemming making the cut for it, which was exciting. But at the same time, he was really, really, really subtle <laughs> in this tournament. And I'm trying to be as, as generous as nice as, as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because like, of course, being like being like a 17, 18 year old invited to the World Juniors for Finland when it's held in Sweden, that's a massive thing. And yeah. uh, and Emil Hemming is a goal scorer through and through and he was put in a fourth line role. That's not a great situation, but even even with those minutes, even with those opportunities, he was really fading into the background. I saw I, I saw him stop moving his feet a ton. And Emil Hemming is a player who's like his brain keeps moving at the same pace as his feet move. So when yeah. he stops moving his feet, uh, he loses a lot of his value. And uh, he wasn't even finding pockets of space, uh, which is one of the things he does really, really well in his league play. So I'm not sure if maybe he was battling an injury or whatever there may be going on behind the scenes there. But it wasn't the same Emil Hemming that we've seen earlier on this season who has his fair share of warts but is is a far more impactful player on a shift-to-shift basis than we saw at the tournament here absolutely fully agreed but that wraps things up for our final segment about the followers of this draft and uh this episode thank you very much for tuning in if you're watching on youtube make sure to like and subscribe leave us a comment letting us know what you want us to talk about next and if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform again make sure to make us your first listen of the day for your second listen of the day make sure to check out locked on sports today their 24 7 news channel about sports to keep you updated on what's going on all around the sporting world and make sure to tune in for our next episodes for next week this has been hattie kalagesh with sebastian high and we hope you tune in next time